Hey, we've been um, talking in this series about the four steps for you reaching your destiny. You know, the guys I used to work with, their big dream was like, hey, let's just retire when we're 55 and live in a beach somewhere. And I'm like, that'd be great if that's what God called you to do. Now going to beaches is okay. Say amen, Venue Church. But listen, if you leave this lifetime and you don't know why you were here and you didn't, you didn't do what God wanted you to do in this life, I mean, that, what a waste of a life, you know? And, and the people around you, I get that they don't know, but we ought to know, church. I mean, if you're coming into this and you're not sure about how you think about God yet, well, you can meet God. We'll arrange that. But I'll tell you, when you're a son or daughter of God, he wants his sons to be on point. He wants his daughters to be on point and to be, you're never going to be fulfilled until you're doing exactly what God wants you to do with your life. And so there are four things, four steps along the way. Now, listen, I'm a guy who's maybe a little bit on the impatient side. I'm looking at some people over here. It's okay. I got back up. And sometimes in my life, you know, I might have been guilty of just, I want these four steps to happen in about a week. You know, I'm like, don't show me the cow, show me the hamburger. Like, let's just do this now. Let's do it. Well, some of these things take time. It's like a relationship. You can meet somebody, but that doesn't mean you have a relationship. And as, as the years go on, it takes time and it takes energy and it takes focus and, uh, to build that relationship. And this is what it is, is, is a relationship with God and with people. You're here to connect with God and connect with people. And we say you'll never connect with God and people until you connect somebody else with God and with people. That's why you exist on this earth. Now, here's how you get to your destiny. Four things. You got to know God. It starts there. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. There's some smart fools out there. And then we got to find freedom. And listen, it's not like you don't go back and find a little more freedom as life moves on. Sometimes your capacity for freedom is very low until a few years later. God's like, hey, let's go back and deal with that thing now. And so there's the finding freedom. You got to know God. You got to find freedom. Discover your purpose. And you got to make a difference. And uh, until you make a difference, I don't know. Like, you want to leave this earth. And what do you want them to say about you at your funeral? Like, he was okay. Played a lot of video games could eat hot dogs like nobody's business. You know what I mean? Like, what do you want them to say about what do you want to leave behind you when you go to heaven? Um, now here's the thing in the kingdom of God, there are many ways to get influence out there, but in the kingdom of God, you'll never have God's influence, which is what we're talking about. When, when I say make a difference, I don't mean so you can be great. I mean, we build a pipeline so that God can pour out through his greatness through you to the people around you. That's what greatness in the kingdom of God is. And so, so um, you, you'll never make a difference until you have influence. Does that make sense? The reason people don't listen to you is because you don't have influence. If you had influence, they would listen to you. Sometimes when, when people who don't understand some things about, you know, I would say theology or, you know, I have a new Christian who's been in the church for a year and then they're going to come and preach at me about theology and sometimes because I, my trade was electrical i'll throw in this i won't say it but i'll think it i'll be like why don't you throw in a lecture about electricity too while we're at it because i was a master electrician i spent my time in the trades you know and um influence you want people you want your words to matter don't you i mean that's why your kids don't listen to you is because you're lacking influence right so how do we create influence in god's kingdom heavenly influence you will never have it in your company, in your classroom, you will never, ever have it until you have this thing called the joy of the Lord. If you're as grumpy as the people around you, why would they listen to you 
they're already grumpy. And Christ followers, when we walk into a restaurant, they should be like, hey, because we bring joy with us. We bring hope with us. We know why we're here. We know. And James says, thanks, Sean. James says, the brother of Jesus says, count it all joy when your brother is Jesus and your mom constantly compares you to Jesus. How come you're not more like Jesus, James? Yeah. He says, count it all joy when you suffer through various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience and goes through all this thing. He's like, count it all joy. Well, if you're not counting it all joy, you don't have the joy of the Lord. You will not have heaven's influence in the life of somebody. See, you can go through hard things, but if you're the only one in the room with joy going through hard things, then everybody around you is like, what do they have? And I need to listen to, right? And so there's this idea of the joy of the Lord. You know, when I was, um, I think I was in grade 10 and I went to a kind of a smaller Christian school and it was great, got good foundation, good friends, you know, so many good things about it. But I had one teacher who I think thought that he was a pastor or something anyways. I don't know what he thought, but, but see, our church, we, we believe that when the Holy Spirit gives gifts to the church, that you should probably use the weapons so you don't get shot in the face in the war. So Venue Church is like a Holy Spirit church. Now, we don't dance with snakes, although if you have some, we'll toss them out there. <laughs> I'm scared to death of snakes. Why would I talk about snakes? Work? I'm not saying that, but there's a gift of the Holy Spirit, like prophecy and, you know, the working of the Holy Spirit. Like you need to, if you, if you try to figure out your teenager, you'll never figure them out. You need the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And so there's this, th you'll never figure out your marriage. You need the Holy Spirit. And so, and so there was a teacher who was really kind of against, I think, the theology of our church. And uh, my parents were my pastors and he pulled me outside of the class one day. Can you imagine this? A school teacher. Pulls a grade 10 kid out of a classroom. And he, and he later became the principal, I think, the next year. And I was like, he and I were like oil and water, man. I, I was like oil and water maybe to a lot of people, but which I'm not saying is good. So I got another, another lecture about my Christian character at the Christian school. He pulled me out of my, my class and said, he said to me, you, sometimes you need to break away from the faith of your parents. That's what he said to me. School teacher. I'm like, why don't you just teach math? And let other people teach stuff that you obviously don't know, right? But you know what? You know what my thought was. You know what my thought was this. And I'm not like bitter about it. I was for a lot of years. But listen, here's my thought. The immediate thought that I had was, why would I live like you? Like I'll do what you want me to do if if I wanted to be like you, but I don't. He had no influence in my life. He had a position of authority, but no influence. Why? Because he was the most joyless person there. I don't know if I, I can't even remember what it looks like if he would have smiled. It would have shocked people. And I'm like, you're the grumpiest person here. You're trying to control God. You're trying to control your life. You're trying to control people around you. I'm like, that's not freedom. That's not happy. That's not David dancing in the street because the ark of God came back into Jerusalem. This is you trying to be all like noble or something. I'm like, why don't we let God the father be all holy and us like have the joy of the Lord. I realized I didn't want to be him. And why would I break away from the faith of my parents and my pastors? Cause they had joy in trials. I'm like, I want to be like that, but I don't want to be like that. And so if you want influence, heaven's influence, look, the world influence, you gain it by like little side conversations and politics and by tearing somebody down and by telling everybody that you should really be your boss. And that's how you gain influence out there, but it won't make a difference that matters. It'll only put you on a pedestal. It'll only make you richer, but it won't make anybody around you richer. 
And so there's earthly influence, but in the end, if you die and that's all that you have, it's a life that's wasted. And you know that it's a life that's wasted. In God's kingdom and economy, you need the joy of the Lord. How do we get the joy of the Lord so that we can make a difference? So that when we say something, somebody comes to you and their marriage is broken apart, they want to hear what you have to say. Um, this is what we say, but pastor, you don't understand my circumstances. I hear this all the time. You don't understand my circumstances. You know what I hear all the time too? Like the church hurt me. I'm like, it's a family. People say this to pastors as if the church has never hurt the pastor. Y'all sheep get bitey sometimes. Like you wreck your marriage over 20 years of hard work at it. And then you get mad at me for something I preached in a sermon that you figure wrecked your marriage. Come on, Benny Church, say amen. I'm just trying to teach you a little something there. Like, that just shut down the next five conversations about why I destroyed your marriage. No. <laughs> of course, we've all been hurt as family, but we can have joy. We can go through it as a family. We can pick up and, of course, like, yeah, we rub each other the wrong way. I get it, but we're family. So, so if you think that your circumstances, and because this is what you spend all your time praying about, all your time working on, trying to get all the problems out of your circumstance. And we like, if only, you know, if only they'd let me do this, then I could be happy, right? If only that didn't happen. If only I didn't marry my first husband. If only my financial situation, if only my dad, if only my mom had hugged me more, if only I wasn't gingered, could go out in the sun. If only I was skinny. All y'all skinny people, I hate you. Most of us do. In heaven, skinny people, think about this. In heaven, I'm going to be skinny. I'm going to eat as many tacos as I want. I feel like that's going to be my reward. You're going to be fat, and I'm going to be... Listen, listen. I'll never get as skinny as some of you guys. But if my happiness depends on my circumstance, listen, statistically, your happiness is 10% circumstantial. 10 percent. You could work all the bugs out. You never will. But if you figure it out, we'll give you a small group. <laughs> if you did 10%, you'll add 10% of happiness. What about the other 90%? Happiness comes from the Lord. The joy of the Lord is your strength. That's why you're missing the strength. So how do we get the joy of the Lord? How do we get the joy of the Lord? When we came to Airdrie and you want to paint a target on your back, be part of a church planting team. Come on. Like, so we came here and we parked our big, we, it was called, we, we labeled everything Real Boats Rock back then. So we had this huge trailer that parked in my, in my driveway. Who was here in those early days and like, remember parking that trailer in there? And so, and we had services in the evening. And so my neighbors in Cooper's, um, most of them have been there since Cooper's was started. And Cooper's has been voted, you know, the best community to live in in town for, you know, like 15 years or something by the inhabitants of Cooper's. <laughs> Did you know that's where the vote takes place? Yeah. So that's pretty funny. And we moved in kind of in the midst of this group of people who had been there for quite a long time. Now, if you live in Airdrie, you know that there's two types of people. There's people who have moved here in the last like maybe five or 10 years. And then there's people who lived here before that when it was really small. And those people always complain about the horrible traffic in Airdrie. Have you ever heard them like, oh my goodness, I'm stuck on Yankee for four minutes. Four minutes of my life gone. You don't even know. Have you met those people? Yeah. Like, I just wish I could go back to the way that it was with all the stories that we have now. Um, 
And so we lived in this group of people who were kind of retirement age. Their kids were out of the house, so they had enough time to start getting really fussy and silly about things. And I don't think they liked our trailer sitting in the yard. Now, I didn't like it because it was always musical cars because we could, I couldn't get both vehicles in the garage. And so, like, I'd be moving this one, and one was always on the street. And if you came, we didn't have a building to do church. You know, like, we did church on Sundays, but we didn't have a building to do team. Or So we had people at our house all the time. And who remembers? I'm like, just park around the corner. We're trying to not to get our neighbors to hate us, and they're a little bit fussy. Just park around the corner. Well, so one day, a year in, we, we started the church on New Year's Eve. A year in, we decided to do our first year anniversary, our birthday party on, on New Year's Eve. We were going to blow this whole thing up and get all these people there. The trouble was, it's Canada, and it was like minus 38 or 39 with a wind chill of about minus a million. And like nobody came to that service, except for my team who came and set up and we, we tore it down. It was cold. It was miserable. We parked my trailer in front of my house and then we sat, you know, had a good cry. <laughs> Asked God, why did you send us to plant a church? Um, the next business day, we got a call from the, the city. Our neighbors had coordinated calling in and complaining about us. And so here were their complaints that we parked in front of their driveways, which we didn't. Like sometimes somebody would drop somebody off and then leave and or maybe somebody's car was 10 inches, you know, like, I, I don't know. And that, that we were, quote, flicking cigarette butts in their yard, which is probably Pastor Aaron out there on the front porch. <laughs> chain smoking, throwing them in there. And that we were just being disrespectful, I think. I think that was what the complaints were. And I had a decision to make. You know, we had a decision to make at that time. Well, how are we going to respond to this? Because if happiness is circumstantial, I'm not happy right now. And we were discouraged and we're like, really? You know, like... Oh, we're disappointed nobody came to that thing and then it was cold and our team did so well and there was so little to show for it and then and then this thing happens so i'm like okay i should probably you know act like a pastor so i went and got some starbucks gift cards wrote a nice little note to all the neighbors because i know who it was put a, the gift cards in their doors and this note later in that day uh my neighbor across the street put the card back in my door I didn't tell Pastor Aaron about that for over a year, I think, because she would have throat punched everybody in Cooper's <laughs> and voted Cooper's out. She would have been so mad. Sometimes husbands, you just got to make that call. You just got to do a, an end zone run yourself and just be like, I don't feel like she can handle it, so I'm not going to say it. No, I had a decision to make right at that time. You know, the enemy spends all this time in, in your life trying to make your circumstances hurt you, trying to make the people around you do that. Listen. If joy comes from my circumstances, you know, I had to ask myself, did I come here to be respected and loved or did I come here for another purpose? Because if I come here to be respected and loved, I can do everything right. And somebody might not treat me right. And then what? Then I'm just not going to be happy if that's where happiness comes from. And the enemy, I had a decision to make. Do I stop doing what God sent me here to do that actually makes me happy? Because we were there to serve. And happiness comes from, you ready? Serving. Connect with God and people. You'll never do that until you connect somebody with God and people. Your happiness is poured out in your life. The happiness switch God turns on when you serve. When you give, when you forgive, when you serve somebody, when you take somebody a meal, when you buy somebody a cup of coffee, when you tell them that you're praying for them, when you actually pray for them. I've been praying for you. I'm like, no, I'm thinking about it right now. That's what that means. I'll be praying for you. This It's a prophetic statement. I'm going to be praying for you because I forgot to. When you serve, God makes you happy. 
That's how happiness works. Now, if I, if I was there to get something or to be served, see the enemy, I had a decision to make. What are we going to do right now? Because I'm super unhappy right now. And if the enemy can cut off the serving, so I'm like, because my personality, I'm, I can write that person off. I can be like, you are dead to me. Like, you're dead to me. I'll reach everybody else but you now. But if I cut off the serving, God cuts off the happiness because that's how it works. I sow serving, I reap happiness from God. If I don't sow serving, I don't reap happiness. And so, how's this working for you? The, the real reason you're not happy and making a difference is because you're trying to work out your circumstances. When that's not where it comes from. It doesn't come from outside of you out there. It comes from something that God pours in you when you pour it out. So, um, so here's my neighborhood update. We have an influence now in the neighborhood. In fact, something tragic happened. You know what? And I'm kind of sad. Sometimes we get angry just because it's easier than getting sad. But you know, my one neighbors who put the car back in the door, I just realized, you know, the traffic in front of their house for their friends coming over was about the same before COVID as during COVID. And I realized, well, no wonder they're grumpy. They don't have any friends. They can come to church and get in a small group and get free friends if they... I'm like, well, no wonder they're kind of grumpy, but am I going to be as grumpy as they are because they're grumpy with me because they don't have any friends and they see all these people come into my yard and flick cigarette butts into, <laughs> you know, you're like, here's something that happened. A tragedy happened in another neighbor, tragedy in their home, like real bad because we've had some dealings with this sort of thing. I was able to, to I had enough influence now because the joy of the Lord, we just, we just forgive. We forgive every morning. We forgive all our neighbors every morning. We have to, and God makes us happy. We forgive, we forgive, and, and I'm like, here's some counsel. Here's like, hey, you gotta, hey, you gotta forgive, hey. And then I said, our family's praying for you. And he didn't like crucify me. He said, thank you. And this is the f furthest guy from God on the block. And now we have influence. What gave us influence? Our decision, not to be happy, our decision to keep serving yeah. gave us influence finally in that home. Now God is looking for a pipeline. That's what he wants your life to be. He's not looking for a superstar. And Eric's happy about that. He's not looking. Why are we picking on you lately? Country music, you know that thing from whenever. He's looking for a pipeline for his greatness, not a, a pedestal for your greatness. And when your life becomes the pipeline, you get happy because you, God is pouring out his greatness and his joy into the lives of people around you when you serve them. And you get to live off of that joy as well. So now here's the deal. Your enemy will focus you on anything you are susceptible to hearing. You ready? Lean in about why you're not happy. You know what the enemy never says? It's because you're not serving. You know why you're not happy in your marriage? Yeah, I know, my husband. No. No. Like, maybe a little. Maybe 10%. Listen. Listen, that's not why. You're not happy because you stopped serving. Some people get married so that they can be served. It won't make you happy. It won't. It'll give you the illusion of like you being, you know, the king of your house or whatever you think you are. If you get married, you have kids so that they can love you. You will be disappointed. <laughs> if you have little boys and they're hungry, they don't love you when they're hungry. They just love food. So feed them and then they'll go back to love. You got to understand if you're not there to pour out love, you can't even receive the love that God has for you. You'll never be happy if you think that you're there for them to love you. And the enemy, you, every personality is susceptible to hearing it in a certain way, but the enemy will, will get you to spend all your time and resources trying to figure out why you're not happy. You watch TV, 
You know, watch your neighbor's lives. They spend all of their time trying to figure out why they're not happy. The reason they're not happy is because they're not serving. Because serving people are healthy people and healthy people are happy people. And until your life is not about your life anymore. We say at venue, like, hey, your church can be a little about you. Like, welcome to venue. We love you. We built this whole place for you. We paid for it all. We love it. We just want you to meet Jesus and live a great life. Now venue church can be a little bit about you, but not a lot. Why? Because you'll never be happy. And I see entire churches turn inward where church is all about them and their experience and what they like to sing and what they, they get unhappy and they get fussy and they get complaining and they don't, and they stop serving. And then the devil gets them to spend their entire time blaming the pastor's wife about why they're not happy. It's got nothing to do with anything, but you stop serving along the way. He'll try to get you to evaluate why you're not happy. And it's funny when he whispers that in your ear, it's never about you. It's like, well, it's because that person won't let me. My boss won't. You don't understand, dog. God's like, I, I feel like I do. <laughs> you, know, you don't understand. Like, you sent your son to die on a cross, but man, my boss. <laughs> Are you serving your boss? Well, maybe that's the problem. Um, it's a poverty in a victim mentality when your unhappiness is somebody else's fault. Because that's not where happiness comes from. It doesn't come from people around you. It comes from what God pours through you. Yeah. Write that down. It's good for you note takers. All right. The difference, you ready? The difference you make is never about what you don't have. Ever. The difference you make in this world, what fulfills you in the end is never about what you don't have. You ready? It's about what you have that you haven't sown yet. People spend entire lifetimes praying for seed to sow. Stop praying about something you already have. God will never ask you to give what you don't already have. Oh God, if only I would get more sleep, then I could. God's like, why don't you sow what you have right now? God, if only I would be loved, then I would have enough love to give. And God's like, why don't you just try it and give what you have? It's never what you don't have. It's what you haven't given. It's what you haven't served with yet. It's what you haven't committed to yet. It's what... See, the enemy will whisper in your, well, there's only so much to go around. So you got to be careful because you've burned your life out with, you know, too many activities and other commitments. Then you come to church and you're like, got to be careful. And God's like, careful with me? See, those old things burned you out because you were trying to find a platform and you were trying to find happiness. Why don't you take all the time and resources you were spending trying to make yourself happy and spend them on serving? Because then you would be happy. And then see what happens is God backs up the happy fuel truck. Because in the world, they only do have a limited amount of whatever. And if they don't get it from people around them, they don't get it. So I get why they, they're like that. But on the inside of the family of God, God's like, if you serve, I back up the happy fuel truck. Oh, you'll be tired sometimes. It's a war sometimes, but I'll make you happy. I'll fulfill your life. You'll make a difference in this world. You'll be tired when you go to bed, but you'll know that you spend a good day That's serving right. your family. Right. And maybe nothing worked out that day, but you'll know that you did what God wanted you to do that day, that, that you actually served a purpose on this earth. 
I was thinking about I was I was thinking about some venue people, and I just wanted to give you some examples about the benefits when you serve other people. How God does something in your life that He cannot do any other way. So, think about it like this: God operates through faith. So He made the world out of nothing, but then He handed it over to Adam and Eve, and now the only see we get so upset with God, like. How come the world is broken? Why do you just fix all the bad problems? You know, why do you allow evil? Okay, he gave it to mankind. We turned around and sold it to the devil for magic beans. <laughs> right? Are we making sense? Yeah. You give your kid a gift and they run over it. <laughs> right? That's how it works. And you don't get mad at the gift. <laughs> like, you stupid gift. I knew you were going to do this. Well, no. And so what happens is God only redeems the world through faith. So Jesus comes. And by faith, he pleased God. And by faith, he gave his life away. And by faith, he served yeah. the world. And then God works a miracle and creates salvation for all mankind. The only places God can redeem are places where Christ's followers are. You ready? Operating in faith, sowing seed. Then the miracle comes. So something came out of nothing. In the beginning, God created everything out of nothing. Now, it comes from something. Because it says in, in Genesis, remember the law of seed time and harvest. As long as the earth remains, this is how it works. Meaning you have to sow before you reap. Right. Now, the seed doesn't look like much when you've got it. But when God makes a miracle and the harvest comes, then it looks like a lot. But the reason you don't have a harvest is then you get mad at God. Well, why can't you, made it out of, you can make it out of nothing. And he's like, I can't make it without faith now. Because that's how the world works. That's how I set the world up. Yeah. We'll set the world up differently. Then we would all blow up or whatever. <laughs> but this is how it works, you know. So, here's, there's, a, there's a young boy at... Venue, you might know the family, and he's got some disabilities, and I love him. He's my best friend. He's gonna be my best friend. I'm gonna get him cheering for Liverpool, <laughs> not the hated Manchester United. Where's Nick? But he's got some disabilities, so sometimes kids at school, they, you know, different, different kind of scares us, right? And his hands shake sometimes when he's trying to hold something up. But you know what? I've decided I'm not going to be sad for him because his family knows the path that's right. to his destiny because they serve at church and they're the most joyful family here. Yeah, that's right. And I'm like, okay, okay, okay. He is going to experience Jesus in a different way than I ever will because my hands don't shake. And Jesus is the God of shaking hands. Come on. And if you've been broken in a way that I haven't been broken, you're going to experience Jesus in a different way than I have. And you're going to know him in a different way than I have. Your life could be all the more valuable because of your abuse, because of the things, because of the sin even that you did. You'll experience the grace of God in a different way. And I'll, last week, this is what I was praying for. I don't know if it's a spiritual prayer, but I was praying like, God, give, give this boy a big friend in school. Who's just like, this is my friend. And his, you don't have to worry about his hands shaking. My hand's not going to shake when I punch you in the face. <laughs> I, I wasn't praying that part specifically. But I'm like, give this guy a, give him a big friend who's like his buddy who's got him, who's all like ripped for, a, you know, however old he is. I just want, I want him to have some backup so that we know the special people. We take care of special people. And we love special, and we learn from. But we need seed to sow. You know, if we had closed church down, like a lot of churches did. Now, that wasn't the approach I took. I'm just like, look, Christians, we die and go to heaven. We got to deal with it. But what are those people around us? They're going to die and not go to heaven. So we got to be there for them, you know. 
And so, uh, so we opened church that in summer, you know, that COVID summer and a girl comes here, she's going to commit suicide. She's got a plan for next week. She meets with Christ and doesn't. And all of a sudden everything changes, yeah. right? Well, that victory belongs to the dream team that day who put the chairs out and sanitized chair and then sanitized it again. Remember when we thought that COVID spread on chairs? <laughs> right? We did whatever we had to do to serve people. And if you come here and you don't like it, you don't like the mask, you don't like the, you don't, I don't care what you like. You're supposed to be here to serve other people. I don't come to church for me anymore. Man, I get all the Bible reading I need at home. Man, I feed myself. I have learned how. But I come here to serve you. I come here to serve the people who aren't even here yet. Church can be a bit about you, but not a lot. Why? Because you'll never be happy until it's not about you. You'll never be happy in your marriage until it's not about you. It's about serving. It's about giving. It's about forgiving. Um, Kaylee, she babysits for, for the, the shoots, right? On, so that they can go to the mission small group on Thursdays. And she poured, poured boiling water on her feet and like wrecked her feet just before basketball tryouts. And, and Renee, she's like crying when she shows me the text from Nikki, the mom to Kaylee saying like, Hey, I'm praying for you. I'm thinking about you. What can I do for you? What can I see? Kaylee didn't know one day that she was going to need that encouragement from there. And, but she didn't know enough to babysit. And listen, she babysits venue kids for venue cut rates. That's what our kids did. I'm like, there's a venue church price. There was a family price. Like, yeah, we charge a little bit, but not a lot. You know what I mean? Like, you know, there is a rate. You're like, how do I get in on this ring? Get in a small group. That's how you do it. And sometimes it's free because you're just like, just, hey, I'll take your kids and you can take my kids the next time around. And it's free. Taxable benefit. I was talking to Kim and she's like, I have a whole career and it came from my love of children because she teaches in minis, venue minis. I have a whole career with the kids now. And every day she loves going to work. Why? Because God got her into her purpose and got her through serving in the church. Uh, do you guys know Joe, his last name? He's got to change his last name. How do you say it? Naf, Nafziger? I feel like that's easier than I thought it was. Okay, he can keep his name. I, sometimes when people have difficult names, I want them to legally change them for me. Joe said when he came here for, to Bird Church Theater, we were doing church. He said, I walked in, he goes, it was arrogant, I know, but I walked in and I thought to myself, Boy, these people need a guy like me for all the things I can do. And he said, no offense, pastor. It wasn't the sermon. It wasn't the service. It was when I carried my first bin out of the kids area. You remember the lab under the, under the stage? That was like the cosmetics lab from the high school that had the severed mannequin heads in it. We scared the hell out of children over there. Many kids were saved over there. It was a scary place. We did the best we could, but it was not a great place. We're going to replicate that in the new building. No. <laughs> Bunch of mannequin heads in there. We want your kids to have the fear of the Lord. He said, Pastor, it was when I carried the first bin up from there with other venue people. I realized the camaraderie. He goes, I realized everybody else had it together here but me. And God brought him. One of the single moms from venue. Look, and God blinded her to him. Listen, I'm telling you, covered him with a cloak of cologne or whatever when he's, he's a drywaller. He comes home, he probably smells bad, but she doesn't smell it because God is in it. And God gave her daughter who didn't have a dad, a father. And I wonder if it would have happened if he hadn't have picked up that bin that day because he doesn't know how to do that other stuff. He's not smart. But God, he picked up a bin and God's like, you gave that, I can do this. 
and it begins somewhere. You know, Amy, Amy, whose last name is Fair now, because God gave her a husband. But listen, Amy, she didn't even know that we had people at the door greeting people because she came late and left early. For six months, she didn't know that we had greeters out there. And then she started signing kids in. And then she, and then she, and then God, and then God, and all the service along the way is affecting other people. And God is using that to pour happiness into her. A seed doesn't look like much when you sow it. Just don't eat the seed. It says, Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he said, where can we buy enough bread to feed all these people? It says he was testing uh, you. He was testing Philip. He already knew what he was going to do. He already has a plan for you. He already has the miracle power. He's ready to go. He's like, okay, just unlatch the window of heaven here. He's like, Philip, where are you going to buy enough food? Philip, you know, I'm just going to translate this the next thing. He says, if we had $50,000, we couldn't feed, it says 5,000 men plus women and children on work hours. So like 20,000 people, tens of thousands of people. And he's like, if we had 50 grand, we could only give them a little bit. That's what he says. This is impossible. Because you don't give sometimes because you think, what good is this among all of that? And God's like, don't worry about that. Just worry about this. And then I can multiply that. And so uh, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that? It's always just like, what good is that with this huge crowd? Why would I forgive him when he's done so much and he's going to keep doing it? Why would I? God's like, it's not about that. How can I heal you unless you forgive? I can't heal you if you're going to hold on to the hurt. If you want to keep the poison inside you got to let it go. Worry about the letting it go and let me worry about the healing part. Yeah. Tell everyone to sit down. They numbered, the men of, uh, numbered 5,000. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish and they all ate as much as they wanted. Now, here's what I would say. Here's what I would say. There was five, a boy with five loaves and two fish. And for years in Sunday school, I'm like, he was the only one who brought food. Yeah. That was possible if there was only 5,000 males there. It's totally possible because I don't think about food until I'm hungry. And then I think about food and I'm like, why didn't you bring anything for me, Aaron? <laughs> right? Why didn't you think this through? <laughs> Somebody's mom packed this boy lunch. You think he was the only one there with a the lunch? You think that Peter's <gasps> wife let him leave the house without food? Have you met Peter when he's hungry? <laughs> On his good day, he's not that great. Yeah. Boys get angry when we're hungry. It's super simple. Just feed us. We'll be fine. <laughs> Listen, 20,000 people, you know that there was food there. Yeah. You know that at least one out of three women brought something because yeah. somebody got to think about things. <laughs> Come on, girls. I'm, I'm handing this to you. This is a win. Somebody, you know that there's not like just guys there, yeah. right? But there was only one there who caused the miracle. Because he gave it. Everybody else ate it. And the next day, you're going to have to eat it again. But he gave it and it fed everybody, including himself. And you're praying for God to give you more seed. God, give me enough to feed all these people. And God's like, why don't you just give what you got and let me do what I do? Watch this. Watch this. Why would God give you a deep understanding of your industry if you can't be nice to the secretary? Why would God give you world-class friends if you don't pray for the ones you got? Maybe they are world-class. You're not praying hard enough yet. Why would God make your husband into this great man of God if you don't pray for the one you've got? Because maybe God wants to transform that one. 
One chapter later, this is what happens. Come on up, worship team. I'm going to kind of skip ahead here. So I read that, and I think it was John. But Matthew has the same account in Matthew 14. This is Matthew 15. One chapter later. Are you ready? Um, it says, great crowds followed him. Jesus calls his disciple to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. One chapter after this miracle. I'm not sure about the timeline, but we're not talking. His entire life ministry was three years, and this is one chapter later. And he says, I have compassion on these people. They haven't eaten for three days. And he's like, disciples, all you're thinking about, now, all you're thinking about is how hungry you are. How is it that you can't see the need around you? You think you're hungry? Your neighbors are starving. How come you haven't seen? I've been working this whole time. Jesus is saying, I'm hungry. Why haven't you thought about anything but your own stomach? You pack snacks? Are you eating your snacks, at Peter, that your wife gave you? What about me? What about the people that are dying around you? He says, I don't want to send them away hungry. They may collapse along the way. Listen, your job is to feed people and get them to Jesus and let him do the rest. You're trying to spend all your time figuring out why you're not happy and trying to fix the people so that you get happy because they finally do what you think they need to do. Your happiness has nothing to do with that. Just feed people, pour out, serve, give, forgive, and let God work the miracle. His disciples says, where could we get enough bread? And he, Jesus is like, dumb and dumber moment right here. You know, dumb and dumber, have you ever watched that? When the guys chase the bus down. Oh, you got to forgive my friend. He's a little slow. The town you're looking for is that way. And I feel like some of you haven't watched that show. I'm not going to like. Listen, Jesus is like, guys, you just, you just, a seven-year-old boy just beat you in a foot race because he gave what he had. And he's, this is what Jesus says. How many loaves do you have? Like, don't let this boy beat you out of this one. Don't let some kid in the crowd, some little girl beat you this time. Guys, how many, how many loaves do you have? It's never out there. It's never what you don't have. It's never what, it's what you do have that matters. It's what you do have that you won't give. And they said seven loaves. Jesus feeds 4,000 men plus women and children. Seven baskets left over. Afterwards, God is saying, finally, my disciples learned how to sow the seed that they already had. Stop praying for seed you already have. Just ask God what you have that he wants you to sow. Because he has prepared a miracle. He already knows what he wants to do. He has prepared it. And your giving just allows the latch of heaven to open up. Feed the people around you. Feed you too. You might, listen, you might be the only one in your home who will give it. Because everybody's got something to give. You might be the only one in your workplace who will do it. And if you don't, the miracle doesn't come. And the crowd goes hungry. You might be the only one in your whole classroom who will respect that teacher. You might be the only wife of all the people that you know because you need new friends who will honor her husband. Come on. You might be the only one who will do it and a miracle will break out amongst all the people that you work with and everybody in your life if you will just learn to give what you got.